Welcome to What Won't You Say, a woman-centered podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Mastic. Stick around for the season to be inspired by amazing women who bravely delve into the stories of their lives, giving hope and inspiration to others. Together, we will explore such a wide array of topics that you will be asking yourself, what won't you say? Okay, welcome back to another episode. We are midway, about midway through uh, the story of Jackie Zimmerman. How are you today? I'm doing well, especially because we're going to talk about far less sad shit today. <laughs> all right. All right. Far less sad shit's good. That's good. Um, so we left it off with um, you basically summarizing your experience at uh, Camp Oasis. Yes. Uh, well, I guess Camp Oasis was not sad either. But no. um, this is here. So yeah. many thoughts at one time. Can't get them all out. Yeah. Um, here, this is this is the upswing kind of right like um it's not an upswing because i still have a bunch more surgeries ahead of me but it, it, truly after that first surgery we had hit the climax of everything being the worst we were on an upswing even though it was still really far away even though you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel but it's really tiny but you can still see it that's kind of where we're at at after camp oasis yeah it feels also like you have more information so it isn't this overwhelming fear of the unknown in a sense would that be fair like obviously there's a lot of unknown coming up but you're getting some answers at this point yes i, I there's at least a plan it's not sort of i continue to get worse or we're trying medications and none of those are really nothing's changing right. in fact i just continue to spiral downward at least now i know this is an upswing and Sure, there are lots of complications that can happen with J pouches and ostomy. All these things, they can have complications, but for the most part, statistically, most people do relatively well. So even though statistics always work against me when it comes to my health, mm. I at least knew, quite frankly, it was either do this path or choose a permanent ostomy. And I wasn't ready to do that then. So I, I had to, I had to invest in this path because it was really the last one that I had. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're home from Camp Oasis. Where are we going from here? So we're about, let's say, June-ish of 2010, um, about four or five months after my first surgery. And at this point where I am in life is I've gotten fired from my job. I know that I cannot get another job because I still have two planned surgeries, both of which have six to eight week recovery time slots. Um, so I I know I'm going to go stir crazy. I know yeah. I'm just gonna like lose my mind because now also I'm poor, <laughs> I have no money. So it's not like, well, I have all this time in the world, but I can spend money, but I'm yeah. poor and sick and all of my friends work. So there, there was a lot of like, I'm I'm literally, you can only watch so much TV at that point we weren't even streaming yeah. we didn't even really have roku back then you know it was a different time <laughs> it was a dark ages of television <laughs> i had a dvd collection that's what i had um friends every season <laughs> so it was Alias. actually it's actually dawson's creek but you know that's that shows my my specific age uh so what i decided to do is uh i decided to go to grad school mm. uh which I have a lot of thoughts about because I needed to do something probably spending another $60,000 was like, maybe not the thing I should do, 
but I needed something that would take up my time, my energy, my mental capacity um, that didn't rely on me. And mm-hmm. so e- even volunteering didn't fit that bill, right? Like I could volunteer, but you people rely on you when you're a volunteer. And I was an unreliable person at that point. So I couldn't, I couldn't commit to anything day or time necessarily. I did a lot of online classes at this period of time, mm-hmm. so I could be at home, but I, I couldn't think of anything else necessarily at the time that I could do that would fill the time that didn't cost money, you know? Did that not give you more stress though? Because you're still going to have all these deadlines and you're paying for them. Yeah, kind of. But what kind of got me on the path to grad school was I was talking to my sister who is an absolutely delightful human being and her mentor from college, we were having a conversation and I was telling her about, you know, my, the mentor, I was telling her about my interests and, you know, all this time that I had. And and she is an academic, she works in an English department. So she was sort of like, have you thought about grad school? And I was like, yeah, of course. But like, that sounds terrible right now. And she got me thinking, she took my interest to heart. And she basically was like, Hey, did you know that there is this profession called library science? And I was like, Ooh, tell me more. Uh, cause I'm a gigantic nerd, right? Tell me more about books, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I started looking into the concept of library science. And then I went there. We have two schools in Michigan that do this. And one of the schools is, you know, 20 minutes from my house. And, uh, they had this new program that was museums and archives. And, mm. and I was just like, sold, sold, sold. And so, I was so amped on on what I really love that stuff. Like I'm such a dork. I love that stuff. So I was really, really excited about that prospect. And I, I needed something to be excited about. So I don't even think I was considering the idea of, in fact, I know I wasn't considering the idea of school as something you have. That's hard. That Mm -hmm. like requires pressure (laughs) because, um, so rewinding for a hot second in undergrad, I, my degree was in fine arts. So I had gen eds, but I didn't have a ton of like papers and stuff, right? I had to make stuff to graduate mm-hmm. and I'm a, a relatively good writer, I think, but I'm not a technical writer. I'm a blogger, right? That's how I write. Mm-hmm. And in the time in which I graduated undergrad and started grad school, it was about six years. And in between that time, I became a blogger, a, a, a well-read blogger. Mm -hmm. And so my first paper in grad school, me not thinking just writes up a paper, wrote paper, nailed it, did it in about an hour. I'm so good at school. (laughs) My professor made a note that basically was like, this is not grad school worthy paper. And it was like, he punched me in the face, but I also went back and reread it. And I was like, He's so right. I wrote this like it was a blog post. Like this is not academic. Anyway, that was a sidebar. But so I wasn't thinking about it. I was just so excited about the prospect of doing something that I was super interested in and that could open up all these potential dope career paths for me and working in museums and being like delighted by all the archives. I don't think I thought anything about actual schoolwork. Well, I mean, you did the right thing and you were thinking whether you realize it or not, which is recovery 101, which is have something to look forward to. Yeah. Whether recovering from an illness or a physical illness or a mental illness or anything, you have to have something to look forward to. And so the fact that this sort of, you know, wet your whistle in a sense, you know, like primed you for this idea of like, 
I can have another life going forward and do something completely different. I'm sure it seemed really, really exciting and probably made a lot of the other shit a lot more tolerable. Absolutely. And, and I was so excited about it and it will become as no surprise to you that my boyfriend at the time thought going to grad school was really stupid. Sure. Uh, and it didn't definite... involve guns or motorcycles. So, well, and it That's also was use. sort of, why would you pay more money to do a thing when you're not even doing the thing you're supposed to be doing? Doesn't matter that I was very sick. Right. Yeah. So I like, he was not supportive of that decision at all, but I also, he also didn't understand my life at the time. He didn't want to, but that I had nothing. Like yeah. I had hanging out with him once a week and, and you didn't going even to have doctors. him really actually. You had no, yeah, no, I had like entertainment for three hours a night before bed is mm. what I had, you know? So I needed more and I went to grad school and, uh, my first summer, I went to grad school for about a year and a half. And the first summer of classes I had, <laughs> I had to go out for surgery. So my second surgery was six months later. No, okay. rewind. I'm sorry. That summer I had an MS relapse Ooh. in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the semester. And it was like, no, no, no. I think it was maybe two weeks into the semester. So I could still drop, but I didn't want to drop. And yeah. I emailed on my, I had what's called an optic neuritis, which means the vision in my left eye, uh, I lost it. I just mm. couldn't see anything. So, um, it, you know, messes with your perception and I couldn't look at screens because the bright light was really problematic. So I couldn't do my classes. So I emailed all my professors and said, Hey, this is happening. Can I have like a two week extension or a pause? Or can you, I want to do the work. Can I do the work? Can, how can you work with me to stick it out? And I think I was in maybe two or three classes and all but one said, Nope, you need to drop the class. Wow which sucked uh, and felt very shitty. And then the final one who said, oh yeah, that's no problem. We will find a way to make that work. Uh, I actually turned out to work for him later when I worked at the library system at the school, like we became friends, wow. um, which just goes to show that a little bit of kindness can go a really long way Right. in the grand scheme. None of those professors really knew what was going on. I told them, you know, I have this thing and I have these other things, but it was just, I understand that, that that's a pain in the ass for them. But right. anyway, that's a whole. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, though, it's like, that's part of the gig is that you try to make concessions and, and help human beings out. That's, I mean, that's not meeting the teaching gig, but the human gig, you know, like, yeah, it's try, but so it's not going well to start out. No, um, the summer semester, I did finish that one class past that class that's going well we are now in the fall semester because it's six months later and this is when i'm scheduled to have my second surgery okay. and it is in the middle of the semester like right in the middle of the semester so i do have to sort of tell my professors i'm gonna work in advance this time because i can plan for it so i'm just gonna finish everything that i would have missed beforehand mm. and i don't remember the content or, or what the classes were but somehow that worked i could do that so i did do that okay. um but so with this surgery, this is a second step of a three-step process. So what was supposed to happen in this surgery oh, no. is, and <laughs> um, as a reminder, at this time, I have what's called an end ileostomy, which is the end of your small intestine hooked up to my stomach where it releases stool into an appliance called an ostomy bag. Um, what happens in the second surgery is they uh, remove that from my abdomen they create what's called a loop ileostomy, which is, if you think about like, uh, your intestine is coming from the top down and then it makes a little bubble out 
and then comes back in and then goes back down. That little bubble out is the new stoma. So that part goes out of your abdomen. And so the part that comes back inside and goes down, that's still your small intestine. And that's where they created the J pouch. So what this step does is it creates the J pouch. It puts it in place, but it doesn't like hook up the plumbing. So that way it has time to heal. Mm, okay. So it's, it's, it's the middle step. It's the home stretch. And, uh, I go in for this surgery and again, it's explained to me basically how I just said to you, we're going to give you a loop ileostomy. We're going to make a J pouch. We're going to put it in place, but it's not going to work. You're just going to keep doing what you're doing. Have a great time. Basically I have the surgery. I come out of surgery. I am particularly groggy. I remember just feeling like extra, extra groggy. And I don't even remember the recovery room. I just remember waking up in my actual room. So there was like a huge chunk of time that I have missed. I wake up and I wake up to my doctor's fellow and a couple other students. The doctor, the surgeon is not there, but his fellow is. No one else is in my room. My family's not there, nothing. And the fellow, again, I am higher than a kite right now. I'm so out of it. The fellow wakes me up and says, hey, your surgery failed. Now, are you by yourself or are you with somebody? I'm completely by myself. Of course, of course. Okay. And I'm, uh, you know, a what? <laughs> I. And he tells me, we couldn't get your J pouch to reach. And I cannot comprehend what he's saying on, on so many levels here, like scientifically, yeah. medically, reality, all of, you know. And also being high just from surgery. Yeah, I don't understand what's happening. So I am very upset. I think I am hysterically crying also probably the side effects of drugs but um this is all new information to me and particularly new information that the surgery could fail so so it was never said to you before like hey we're gonna try this but it might fail no not once wow. so um my parents come back to the room and i am a disaster and they're like what the fuck just happened and i tell them what he told me and I don't remember when they said this, but they were like, we asked them not to tell you without us there. We specifically asked them not to do that. Yeah. And the fact that it was my doctor's fellow, it wasn't even the doctor himself that delivered the news. So once a couple days go by and I like sober up and figure out like what the fuck that ha what happened and what it means, like what actually is going on here, I find out that um, because I had gained so much weight from steroids, you know, I had put on, my stomach was bigger, you know, I, I was ballooned, right? So mm. everything was pushed out that the way there's the, when you think about your small intestine, a lot of it is all bunched up in that webbing mm. and that webbing was tight and my stomach was big. So when they became time to make the J pouch out of my small intestine, it actually couldn't re they couldn't pull it down far enough okay. to suture it in place. Uh, the whole surgery was in essence a failure. It didn't work at all. So let me ask you this, um, and you may not know the answer, but now that made me think of something else, just for the listeners, I'm sure they will have some of these same questions is, if you get a J pouch and you put on weight, will that jeopardize the J pouch? Something I hadn't thought about until that point. Um, as far as I'm aware, like now, no, because okay. it has been hooked in place and heals. And okay. so as you gain weight, right, those things will stretch out together slowly. Got it. Got it. So what happens now? I mean, obviously, 
you're going to have more surgeries. I mean, you can't just leave your, your, your body the way it is now. How do you go forward? Well, that was precisely my question for the surgeon, but I was much ruder about it than that. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah without question, uh, I would be too. I was pissed because this was never described to me as a potential complication. Never once. He knew my weight. He knew my body mass when I going into it. They never once said there could sometimes this happens. Mm -hmm. Literally never. I, I never read about it on the internet. I, I didn't, again, I had, it's all this me going, I had no idea this could happen is like this entire story. And it seems like it would be so common for the fact that a lot of people would be on steroids when they're going in for surgery. You, you'd think, um, and maybe it truly is like very, very, very uncommon, but now knowing what I know about the structure and the layout of, you know, your insides, it does seem like it could be, especially because that webbing is different on everybody. So yeah. tighter, looser, whatever. Um, so I, I go meet with my surgeon and I have this, like, what the fuck do we do now, man? Like what happens? And, uh, his news was not good. Mm. news was we can try again in six months after you lose 60 pounds and if we try again and it still doesn't fit it still isn't doesn't stretch far enough you will have a permanent ostomy oh tell me you got a second opinion no oh. again this guy's the best in the world i get it now i totally get it this is just so frustrating incredibly frustrating um again because I, again i don't know anybody else that i can go to for this there's nobody yeah. who's had this or nobody's so now i'm facing I, this isn't even really it's not even really a choice it's i i either put my all into i guess there's a choice i put my all into losing this weight to try again yeah. or i just say fuck it give me the permanent ostomy and again i wasn't ready for that i I still was going into this going, this is all temporary. This mm -hmm. is a temporary thing. And I still had a lot of stigma at the time, even though this ostomy gave me my life back. Right now right. I'm living a better life than I had lived in a long time. I still didn't want it permanently. I still didn't know enough people who had them. I still didn't have enough good representation to understand what life really meant with it. I was going, this is the life jacket on the path to getting myself out of the drowning area. You know, I have to do this, but it will go away. And then it's the band-aid. That's all. I'm not ready to accept that that could be something yeah. permanent. Understand. So do you end up having another procedure with him? I, before that, I bust my ass. I hire a okay. personal trainer. I start working out multiple times a week, which at this time, again, I am well 60 plus pounds overweight i'm fresh out of surgery i'm weak because i haven't moved my body in like pretty much eight months now yeah. and now i have to lose 60 pounds in six months uh the beginning was rough <laughs> was i like, mean that, it, for somebody that's in stellar health 60 pounds in six months that's 10 pounds a month you're not even really supposed to do that in a healthy way you know what i mean lose that much weight that's crazy so th that's what i did is i i hired the trainer. I started going a lot. I was there often. I actually ended up working there for a period of time, which, you know, mm. sometimes the universe gives you good things and whatever. Uh, but I, I did, that's what I chose to do. I chose to invest in, I was still going to school. So I was schooling and working out and eating so much chicken and broccoli, plain chicken yeah, and broccoli yeah. and salsa on eggs. And I ate four things basically 
because I, I mean, stepping back to say as like a disclaimer, these are not healthy eating habits. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend doing what I did. Uh, it is not sustainable for any longer than the time period. I mean, it wasn't even sustainable for the time period I was doing it in. This is like, I want to add that the gym that I was working out at was an MMA gym. I wasn't doing MMA, but that's what the gym was. So my trainer there was an MMA fighter. So when he's talking to me about how I need to lose this weight, he's putting me on a fighter diet. That's what I was doing. Yeah. And I, I, I'm over, I'm over here. You obviously can't see me, but I'm chuckling just to think the thought of Jackie at any point ever in your life doing MMA. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like the gentlest, most easygoing person. You're like, and I will put your <laughs> nose bone through your brain. You know, like I don't say that. Yeah. I didn't uh, do that part. Um, thankfully, but thankfully he, I was on a, a diet for somebody prepping for a fight. That's yeah. what I was on. So that's part of why I lost weight quickly was because that's what it's designed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and because also at this time, again, I had nothing else to do other than prep food. I could prep food. That's, yeah, I had time. Great. Yeah. So I did do that. It's not healthy thing. Don't do that. I don't recommend doing it that way. I, if I had longer time period, again, I pushed this back on the doctor. No, I don't. Rewind again. I don't push it back on him. He said, I'll try again in six months. If it took me longer to lose the weight, he would have followed my lead, but I wanted it done in six months. So okay. this yeah. is all on me. That's this fair. is all on me. Uh, so yeah, don't do what I did. Uh, so do you get there? Do you get to the 60? I think I got to 55. Ooh, wow. That's incredible. I was in great shape <laughs> compared to what I looked like before. With all the oh so my God, I was miserable. <laughs> I went out at one point again, we, the chef that cooked all the delightful food for our, the benefit we had, we went to go see him and he was cooking another thing. And I said, can I have broccoli and chicken while you're having this amazing meal? And he said, sure. And how do you want me to cook it? And I said, don't season it and don't put butter on it. And he looked at me like, you're insane. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, sorry for your sad dietary yeah. choices, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it was not fun. I, mm. the only reason I could do it was because I had lots of time on my hands and I had a obsessive goal. That's it. If yeah. I wasn't doing it for the purpose of getting surgery, I couldn't have done it. If it makes you feel any better, that's how everybody looks at me still as a vegetarian. I'm so sorry for your diet. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry for your dietary choices. Yeah. Um, so oh yeah, I gosh. did it and it took another six months. So now just a reminder of the timeline, this whole thing was supposed to be done in nine months. I'm thinking, and at the time, nine months was an eternity, it's yeah, almost an entire year. The six, three, and three or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. So we did the six, the first six, the first one, I go in for the second surgery. That was six months. Now I know I'm essentially almost doubling the length of time of these surgeries because I have to wait another six. And I have to tell you that when the three month mark came along and I knew I should have been having my final surgery it was a dark, dark time. I can't, I can't even imagine because again, the cognitation that you attach to the ostomy and, and, is this could all be done by now. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even though I said we're on an upswing, cause the, you know, we're swinging up there, the, the big, the next cliff that's not as big as the other ones is this surgery failure because it did send me into a massive and vast depression. Um, I, my mental health declined. I mean, it was already like teetering 
here, but I'm thinking we're doing better. And then again, another thing, I don't know that it can even happen goes wrong. And I have to, all this pressure of losing the weight and all of this pressure of the timeline and being in school. And, you know, now I have added all this stuff. When I signed up for school, I didn't know I'd have this other thing going on, right? Mm. Everything is now pressure. There's deadlines now that I have to meet that I didn't have before. It's right. it's a totally multiple different now. Multiple, multiple, multiple deadlines. Yes. The eating deadline, the surgery deadline, the deadlines for class. And that's the thing is like any type of surgery is so scary. It's so emotionally taxing. And then if it fails, you know, you got to do them again. Yeah. Like it's horrible for everybody, but it's especially with everything that you're going through at the time. And, and at this time, again, I'm still living alone. I think this is right around the time. I wish I had written the date down. I have this blog post. Oh, crap. I don't have it. Is it the one for 2012? Um, no, there was one where I, I wrote a post of literally called the unsupportive partner mm. where I wrote about what a bad boyfriend I had, but then I promptly justified everything in the post. Mm. So I don't have a great support system. I'm, I have my family and we're they're They're delightful, but there's only like so much we're in professional help territory now, right? Nobody yeah. can like bring me up and I am tanking fast uh, again lots of time on my hands not really much not people not nothing and now I also know that if I I could work my ass off lose the 60 pounds and it might not work mm-hmm. I might not lose the 60 pounds and it might not work and then all of these scenarios are me with a permanent ostomy which again I'm just not ready to accept that as an option there's so much pressure and shame and guilt start surfacing back up again right because all the what ifs come out of like what if again what if no one will love me and Mm, what if no one you know it's the whole thing just becomes all-consuming you're yeah so obviously you know on the you know deep down like this is not a good relationship because you wouldn't even be questioning that you know you like you know like I'm guessing by all you're saying, you know, it's ending. It's a matter of time, but you're not going to pull the trigger. I know that it should end. Mm-hmm. I've just convinced myself that it'll be harder to be broken up with. It'll be harder to be single through this. It'll be harder to deal with a breakup than mm-hmm. it is. It's the devil, you know, versus the one you don't. Mm-hmm. Than it is to break up with him and... And be like, well, now what? Right? Like, <laughs> I I wish I could have seen the relief on that side. That if you mm. break up with him, all the dumb shit, all the dumb twenty something shit that most people deal with that you just don't need, and you have a choice in this, could all be gone. I didn't see any. The normalcy felt safe. Sure. I mean, think about. I can even speak for myself. And you come from a lot of dysfunction. And you repeat it because it's like it's horrible for your life it's like it's it feels safe it's like well yeah. i know this you know it's, you like you said the devil you know yeah and it's it funny too because you talk about your relationships and i always you know your young life relationships and we all have them and it makes me think of that meme that circulates so it's like i want to tell every 19 year old um girl that i meet don't be in a relationship because there's never been a good experience of being in a relationship with your 19, like learn how to sew or learn how to you yeah. know, travel or like, you know, <laughs> learn how to do hobbies or whatever you want to do with your life, but uh, don't do that. So it's just, yeah. let me think of that. So um, 
you lose the 55 pounds, you go see the doctor and where, where are you at? Is he agreeing to do the surgery at this point? He agrees to do the surgery. Um, it's been an incredibly difficult road there. I mean, there, I don't want to keep like, I have to be honest to the story though, right? The, this yeah. is where, um, I'm suicidal and I yeah. have made a plan on how I'm going to end my life. Um, I have a never ending supply of leftover pharmaceuticals. Yeah. I have, but then I, but then I start rabbit. I'm a planner, right? So of course yeah. I planned out like, well, I don't want people to find this or see that. Or so how do I, you know, like I have created a plan. So you, and you, you are, you are actually in it now. I mean, I'm in it. It's not yeah. about having idea ideation. You're actually planning it. No. And it, and I, um, because and this is why, you know, if you ever know people in these scenarios, you just want the pain to end. Um, yeah. The everything was so uncertain. And in, in every scenario in front of me, let's say, you know, 10 different scenarios of all the outcomes, I saw none of them that were positive. I literally saw zero ways in which anything ever got better. Because at mm -hmm. this point, everything has just continued to get worse. I had that one six month period where I was like, we're on the upswing, but it was still really hard because I had this ostomy that was, I'm learning, it's new and it's, you know, it's all the feelings and emotions. And so I'm, I've been spiraling now basically since the, since the beginning of these diagnoses, right. Where it's only now though, that I am like spiraling at like record speed yeah, <laughs> because sure. there, nothing is positive in front of me. School is not fun anymore. The fun of that has worn off. Now it's actually work yeah. and something else I have to do. And also I have, did I mention all the money I'm taking out in loans to go to school, right? Like everything is compounding nothing is light. Nothing brings me joy. I mean, at this point, I am all the stereotypes of the questionnaires that they ask you. The reason they ask you those questions is because I'm the one that says yes to all of those in those moments. Oof. All right. We're going to leave it there for this episode. Uh, sorry to leave it on such a, such a hard note, but it is a true life story. And so, um, anything else you want to add before we, before we go? I mean, obviously you're still here. So. I, I made it. Um, yeah. And and the, the general disclaimer that uh, if at any point you feel as bad as I felt in those moments, uh, there are people who are here to love you and help you. And I am one of them, even if I don't know you. So find me on the internet. I'm everywhere. Yeah. And reach out, reach out, reach out. Um, you know, try to make sure that it's to safe people, even if it is hotlines, they're there for that. And we'll post some things below for information for that. Um, even if you're at the at the phase where it's just ideation, like talk to people that you love, you trust that that you can trust with that information uh, that will help you through. Because I've been there too, and it feels really really dark when you spiral inside your head and you cannot see the amazing life that you that you have the potential to have before you. So yeah. keep hanging on, and uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you for listening to What Won't She Say. You can find us at whatwontshesay.com, on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else that you like to find your podcast.